our numbers always start to weigh in a little bit at this time. So we'll, um, you know, we're going to take a couple weeks off after this week. We'll go this morning, but then probably next week and the next week. I'm trying to remember the dates, uh, but I think it's 26, and then, you know, for the next couple of weeks we'll we'll uh, we'll be off. But they, they're coming back into January. There may be some. Well, there'll be stuff going on at least by the uh, ninth, I think. I think the second is the first week, so we won't go the second. The ninth, there may be something cooking, and then we'll just, uh, you know, we'll slide back into the normal schedule. Just let us know. Let's pray, and then we can chatter about whatever you want to chatter about. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Luke 1, 46 and 47. Lord Jesus Christ, our light and our salvation, who alone is the one who has come to save us sinners. We thank you for coming and for your will to perform in us again your saving work. We beg you, rule us by your Holy Spirit, that from now on we wait for no one else and we put our trust in nothing in heaven and on earth except in you alone as our Lord and Savior. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Okay, there you go. Uh, let's see. Technicalities first. Uh, let's send these around. There you go. Oops, I lost both pencils. That's a pretty good trick. <laughs> I feel great. I just have trouble with the technology. There you go. Send that, please. Thank you very much. Uh, good. And then uh, this goes to St. Matthew's Soup Kitchen in Chicago, little village area, right? They serve about 400 people a, day, a week. So, um, and occasionally people go down there, yeah, at least those, and then people volunteer. So it's cold, and, you know, they're, they're doing a good thing, so try to help them out there. Okay, anybody, we just have the thing that we had last week in your hands. Anybody need one? I got some if you need one. Does anybody want one? You help me, Carol? Thanks. Questions about anything? About anything at all, or about, you know, whatever it is that we're doing, you know, doing next? Everybody okay? Karen Crawford, very nice to see you again. What's on your mind? I would like to know how much of that debacle has to gain a chance to Ah. I think first, I think we have to go all the way back and question a man who takes a vacation day for that. I think we just have to question his judgment, don't you? I think he lasted till the middle of the third quarter. That's pretty good, don't you think? He couldn't feel his toes anymore, and he came home. Isn't that what your mother always taught you? You can't, you can't feel your toes anymore. You come home. I just think he could have used that same vacation day for, I don't know, a day in Florida on the beach. Uh, There's just limitless possibilities for, for you know, warm weather. So, oh, you know. Anything else you got cooking? All right, um, if you've got this in front of you, here's, here's where we, basically, I was thinking about the whole thing in a different way. I, I'll use, is Carol Holter here? I don't think she is, so I'll talk about her behind her back. Ah, oh, she is here, so I can't. I'll, I'll talk in a different way. I'll talk in front of your back. Ah, uh, <coughs> uh, well, you know, that would be the, well, never mind. Uh, or, I, you know, I was thinking about, I was thinking about you and then about Kathy Thorne, because Kathy's kind of the, Leader for the next. Kathy is here. I did. I did spire. So, so let me put my punch in for you know, one of the things we could get a little better at that would help leaders here. So in this case, Carol is a leader. Kathy's a leader. 
um, would be if we worked a little more quickly on the board. We tend to be a last-minute congregation. I know that you're busy, but uh, if we work a little faster out front, it, it's a little less stress. So actually, I, this is kind of where I was going. I actually was thinking everything I said last week could be recast in, how could we make you successful? You've chosen to uh, lead in a particular place. You've been put in a particular place. So we say to ourselves, how could we make you successful? That's another way to phrase this question in as you go about Christmas sharing. Or how can we make Kathy, now in real time, how can we make Kathy successful as she does the very noble work of sort of leading gifts for grace? Think about your governing board members. How can you, how could you make your governing board members successful as they go about their tasks? Think about Sunday school teachers, think about pastors, think about everybody here. Think about what you can be doing. If you're not the leader, then you're a follower. If you're a follower, how do you make the leader in any particular venue successful? How do you make your elders successful? How would you do that? So that would be another way to set this question. You remember where we started? We started with the centurion, who's a very powerful man. He commands a hundred Roman soldiers. He has a man who is sick. He can't heal the man. He loves the man dearly. He comes to Jesus. He says to him, you know what? I know what it is to be in authority, to be a leader, and I know what it is to be under authority, to be a follower. And in that, he clearly recognizes Jesus as the leader, and he clearly recognizes himself as a follower. And he says, you know, please heal my servant. Jesus says, do this. He says, boo, I'm not worthy. Jesus says, this is how I work. And in the centurion, you have his, of course, that's the way it'll be. You actually have the same story today with Mary. The angel comes to Mary. The angel defines what it is. We would like you to bear the child uh, of God himself, of the triune God. It's very clear that the angel is in control, especially because the angel speaks for Christ. And Mary, Mary's response could be no. It's extraordinarily important for you to understand that she could say no to this. Mary was not forced to give birth to that child. Had she said no, the Lord would have figured something else out. I have no idea what that would have been. But... Uh, Nothing in the Christian life ever happens by force. So she says, yes, in that sense, she follows the lead of the angel, but then in her, in her own right becomes a leader, right? In much of the Christian church uh, throughout history, Mary's been seen as the first disciple, not Peter, not the apostles, but Mary, because she appears early. She says yes. Her, her, you know, her first word in Scripture is yes, and her last word, in John 2 at the wedding of Cana is do whatever he tells you. So she's seen as obedient and teaching other people to be obedient. She knows how to follow. She knows how to lead. So we need to think about what it means to lead and follow in a church. And this kind of practical stuff of Romans 12, when we read through Romans 12 last week, it's all about, it's as much about making the people around you better as it is about um, doing the things uh, that you're, you're meant to do. Now, you shouldn't hear me in any way as giving you some sort of business seminar. I'm just telling you how the church works. The Lord speaks a word, and we're meant to love his word because he wants our best, and obeying and loving that word will be best for us. The Lord puts different people in different places. He uses different people for different things. He used Mary to bear uh, his, his, his child. He uses Peter to be the lead apostle. You know, he, lead, he uses Timothy and Titus to be the next generation. 
the Lord constantly uses people. He uses all of you, and that should have been very clear from last week when Jesus, or when, when Paul says, although it would be better to say when Jesus says, because Paul doesn't do it on his own. When, when, uh, when Paul says, you know, hey, you know, be a living sacrifice. Everybody's been given a gift. Take a good look at yourself. Sift the data. See what you're good for, and then get busy. Everybody who comes into the church is meant to be busy somewhere. It doesn't mean that, you know, in this congregation where we've got a whole congregation full of leaders, you all can't lead at once. It just doesn't work. But you're meant to look at what your skills are, and you're meant to get busy. That's part of the Christian life. It's why the new member class in this congregation, and we probably need to do more of this, um, we talk about what it is to live as a Christian the last three or four weeks. This is not just about opening up your head and cramming a lot of doctrine in. This is about going out and living in the world the way Christ would have us all live. So to do that, in any given situation, you need to know if you're leading or following. And I'm at point number six then on this. My first, uh, my first, you know, my first plea to you was that you'd find your spot. Everybody's got a spot in the church. We need to find our spot. Now we can help people find their spots. We never want anybody not to have a spot. We can do better and better. But everybody needs to find a spot. Or, as Romans 12 said, help other people find their spot. Examine yourself. Get some advice. Try to discern. Figure out where you belong. Um, I once had somebody join the congregation here, um, although I think maybe they're not around anymore, but um, who said in the very first meeting with them, well, uh, you know, I'm pretty important. I got a lot of money, and I should probably be an elder here. That was a very interesting first meeting. Um, you know, that's, you just kind of go, you know not what you say, you know. Because uh, in one congregation, maybe you are the right person to be an elder, but in another congregation, you know, Maybe not. Um, so the first thing was, you know, find your spot. I'm at point six. You've got to work your spot. If you're leading, then you lead. If it's following, then you follow. Whatever it is, get busy. And now I'll go to you a little bit, and I want to kind of, I want to just test your kind of normal Bible knowledge. I didn't want to try to write an exhaustive thing on this, but I just ask you, you know, what makes a good leader in the way of Jesus Christ? The first thing I'll give you is no hiding. So... <clears throat> I understand the need that often people come to the church, and uh, the rest of their week is very difficult, and uh, they just want to come and get some rest. And I can be respectful of that for a time. Uh, I can be respectful of that for a time, that people have very difficult lives, maybe they're going through something difficult with their family, with their job, whatever it might be, and, and they need just to come and rest. I can be respectful of that, that's, you know, that's important. But that can't be it always. We read from Romans 12 last week about how everybody is part of the body. It's Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. The church is a body. Christ is the head. Everybody else has something to do. So, you know, it's like if you, if you go a little bit too hard, you might take a day off and give your knee a rest. But eventually, you know, your knee's got to get busy again. So uh, even when you're leading, you know, uh, well, first, no hiding. And then even when you're leading, uh, follow me. If you're a leader in a congregation, it's extraordinarily important that you don't work with your own good ideas. At least you don't work with your good ideas until Christ has gotten to have his good idea. Because real honestly, the world does not look like the church. The, world can, the church can learn from the world, and frankly, you know, the church can learn a lot of good things from the world, like you know, how to keep its books well, or um, how to be efficient with its use of time, or name a hundred things. There's, you, you all bring a lot of skills from the world, but the world doesn't run the church. The church runs the world. Um, 
we have kind of in America this, this, this distinction of sacred and secular. There are some holy things and then there are some unholy things. You know what? In the scriptures, it's not that way. If you, if you sort of run through the scriptures, um, you know, just, just even takes Acts chapter 2. Uh, there's no distinction in the church between sacred and secular. Everything is sacred. The disciples are in charge of the whole bit, every, every aspect of people's lives. We're a little too independent sometimes as Americans, and, and, and we're a little too independent of e each other with uh, kind of, it's all about me-ness. It's about the community. So I just sort of, I just sort of, I just sort of, the point of all that is to let the sacred have the first. When you're leading, follow Jesus. The Father, Ephesians 1-2, has appointed his incarnate, resurrected son as supreme head of the church. So he's the one always to follow. Follow me, says Jesus. And I guess I will also say, unless you, you know, I'm pretty adamant here about if people aren't in church and Bible study, and if they don't give well, they, they shouldn't be in any leadership position here. Because you can never expect in the Christian life other people to do things that you won't do. So, and when it comes to a nominating committee or when it comes to meetings with elders of the governing board, I'm quite upfront about this. If you don't come to church, if you don't come to Bible study, if you don't give and if you don't serve, you really can't be in a position where you're going to tell other people to come to church, come to Bible study, you know, lead and serve. Uh, you, just, you just can't. So that does in some sense narrow the pool by what we would call Christian maturity. You know, you may not like to tithe. You know, some days I don't like to tithe. But uh, you know what? That's just what the Lord needs to keep his church going. That's just how the church works. You know, you may not like to come to church every Sunday. There may, may be days when your staff is a little bit too late, and this doesn't, but you know what? Gosh, as it says in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembly. Other people need you. If you can't come to church for you, come to church for me. Because when you come to church and nobody's around, that's disheartening. Where are my friends? What's the matter with them? People worry about you. People wonder about you. You see, so it's extraordinarily important to live a Christian life, to be mature in that way um, before you can leave. That's just following Christ. That's just... You know, Christ said, you know, Christ went to the synagogue every week. Christ went to the temple for the feasts. Christ said his prayers. Christ expects you to pray. He says to his disciples, when you pray, he presumes you're going to pray. Christ says to the Pharisees, you tithe and you do well. Christ expects that. That's just, that, that's just kind of baseline stuff for your life. So um, when you're leading, first follow Jesus. So the first thing is, you know, remember who's the supreme head. But second... Um, Try to remember that Jesus is not just way, follow me, and not just life. He comes from the life of the world. But Christ is also truth. This is the bottom under pit number seven. Jesus' way is objective, clear, and simple. The world is not very complicated according to Jesus. Anybody can understand it. Christianity is not an intellectual exercise. But it does take extraordinary self-discipline. It does take extraordinary exposure to the means of grace. Uh, it does take commitment. It does take love, if you will. It takes obedience. So his way is objective. It's clear. And the tougher things get, and you know, hopefully over the past few years we've all learned this lesson, the tougher things get, the more you obey. The tougher things get, the more you obey. Um, this is true in any venue of life. This is true in the military. This is true in business. This is true in the church. When things get difficult, it's extraordinarily important to be clear and be decisive. And when you're not, when somebody isn't, when there's nobody who's a leader, when there's nobody who's clear and decisive, when there's nobody who can articulate what it is, things go haywire. 
you know, I once had a friend who took a ship, a freighter. He, he hopped on a freighter to come across, uh, across the ocean. And he said the captain was drunk most of the time and always below deck. He said, he said, in fact, the only time he saw the captain is when they got in a very, they got in a very difficult storm. And um, it was going to container ship. The container started to get pitched out of balance, which could actually, they either fall overboard or they flip the ship upside down. So then the captain arises, you know, comes to the bridge, fixes everything. Then he goes back down to his room and drinks some more. Well, I mean, that's not the perfect paradigm. But uh, <laughs> to be real honest, you actually understand that in, in difficult times, I mean, anybody who, you know, coaches will tell you this, leaders will tell you this, pastors will tell you this, military people will tell you this. When things go really bad, you can't be in the middle of a battle and some lieutenant is barking out orders and then some, you know, private or sergeant says, now, do you really think so? Because I think if we would just, and if we just put some, well, I'm not, can we just think about this? Uh, you know, because then by the time you say, shoot, everybody is shot, you know. It just takes some, you know, it just, it just takes some level of obedience. And fortunately for us, it's all about obeying Jesus. So the tougher things get, the more careful we are to obey. We should do that all the time anyway. Then flip the, uh, flip the page. I'm just giving you a couple here just to get you started. Um, another really important thing is loyalty. Um, Jesus sticks by us no matter what. And I've, I've said this to you before, betrayal is the only sin. Betrayal is just no. It's no different than what I said in the sermon this morning. Betrayal is just no, I won't do that, or no, I think I have a better idea, or no, I'll be a better God than you. Or in Mary's case, it would have been no, you've probably made a mistake. You want to talk to the girl down the road. You've missed it just by two mailboxes. I think the, you know, she would just be better than me. Yes, please. He does. Yeah, so God knows what your answer is going to be. Now, the only thing, that's, that's true, because God knows exactly who you are, agreed. And so he does, put this, he does put these questions to you. Of course, you can't see it from that direction, right? You can't see. No, that's right. When the question comes to you, so the question comes to Mary. God, in fact, doesn't know what's going to cook, but uh, Mary doesn't. And that's, that's true for all of us, too. So we want to listen to that, and you know, our, but we have a pretty clear paradigm for what yes looks like. I mean, here's the thing. Most problems in the church, most problems in your own life, most, most problems in the church, most problems in your own life would all go away if we just sort of did the basic things. Christ, scripture, prayer, the divine service, mercy, witness, right, generosity. Though that, there's nothing that's unclear about that. I mean, I can just tell you, here's what God wants for your life. He wants to be first. He wants you to read your text. He wants you to come here and be baptized and take the Eucharist. He wants you to give generously. He wants you to be merciful to people around you. He wants you to live your life as a witness. There's nothing I've said to you that, you know, takes an 800 on SAT to figure that out. I mean, we can tell you what that looks like. It's easy. He even gave you a number where all you have to do is shift a decimal point over. It's not that difficult, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just not that hard. Uh, the, the difficulty is in the execution. The difficulty is in the obedience. The difficulty is I think I have a better idea. Um, 
You know, I ju- and I give you an example of Christ's own loyalty to you. He puts his body and blood into you, and you carry that around. And you know, that's great at the death point. You can't be destroyed. You're thinking about all your relatives who are in heaven this Christmas. You know, we've had 30 or 40 people from the congregation, and, and not just who are in the congregation, but, you know, brothers and sisters and parents and nieces and nephews. There's The pastors send out cards, and, you know, I know because I write one at each feast day, and I think I wrote about 40 of them over the past 10 days or so. Um, I didn't, there's just that much death in a congregation this big. But the answer to all that is, is, you know, those people are having a very good day. So... Um, we come here, we're indestructible, we're united with all of them. So I just, I just sort of put you, what else biblically, what else biblically would you say um, makes a good leader? Can you think biblically for just a second? Not, not just, it's not that the things you know from business or from military experience or from athletics or, or other things. Uh, in fact, I just saw a thing yesterday, I just read an article where it said, your, um, your earning is more tied a better predictor, people always think it's a big deal to get good test scores and even go to good schools, but the pr- you, do you know that playing athletics is more of a predictor of your income than your SAT scores? Isn't that interesting? Why do you think that might be? I mean, what does athletics teach you? How to work with other people. And frankly, what else? Go ahead. It does teach you how to lose as well. Lose graciously and lose well. Exactly right. And Karen? It does teach you discipline, and it teaches you, go ahead, how to depend on other people, and especially a coach, how to, how to do what a coach asks you to do. Coaches always talk about buy-in and how to follow, right? Yeah, which is very difficult for all of us. And those things are critical when it comes to real life. I mean, this is just not, a, this, is, this isn't, I mean, I, this isn't just, you know, theoretical stuff. This is just how we live, right? How we live together. It's so important. I mean, you, you play on a team, it's important to know who the coach is. That's, that's important, kind of a first-day kind of thing. If you're in the military, it's important to know who your sergeant is, right? That's an important thing. What else would you say? What, what else would you, in the church, what else would you say? Is there anything else you'd name? I left you a space or two. Yes, please. Empathy is a good thing. So by empathy, can you just say a little more about that? What does that actually mean? <laughs> yeah, to understand what other people's needs are. And that's a very good thing in people who lead Oswald Chambers has this great little devotional book where he says, uh, in one of the devotions, he says, there's always one fact in the other guy's story that you don't know. Isn't that great? There's always one fact in the other guy's story that you don't know. There's just always one thing that you don't understand. Forget about just having half the story. There's always one thing about a guy you don't know. You know, when people are having a bad day, there's, you know, there's at least one thing you don't know about. Martha? I think it's the service. Can I press you a little bit? Um, that seems to us often to be a contradiction in terms. So Martha said it's very important to have a servant heart, and that's also often a learned thing, and that actually goes with maturity. But how do you think, and this could just not, this could be for any of the rest of you, how do you think servant doesn't normally go with leader for us? Those are usually two categories. Servant heart gets a hyphen. You've also seen servant leader. That gets a hyphen, right? So how do you think to be leader in some sense means at some point you have to make a decision, right? And, and at, some ba- mo- at the most basic level. It, it, and in any organization, if you don't have somebody who's going to make a decision, what happens is you get a lot of good ideas and everybody goes so frustrated because nothing ever happens because nobody ever decides. This could be for any of you. How do you think those two things fit together? So a servant heart, but that servant heart is in a leader. What do you think? Anybody got an idea? Yes, please. 
Good, so the leader still has to make decisions, but in the decisions that he makes, see if I'm saying this correctly, in the leader that he makes, he's first paying attention to what the Lord wants. I'm going to press you a little bit in, in the way of Byron, which is, and he's also paying attention to what other people need, because you don't want decisions that break people. But on the other hand, at the end of the day, somebody does have to decide. Did you hear that? The first commandant in the Marine Corps, when he'd signed letters, he'd sign your faithful servant, which frankly is not how I thought Marines normally thought about their commandant, but you know, it's a very interesting thing. Good. So service is action, and we get that list from First Timothy, and there's a range of virtues that one needs to exercise, if not perfectly, uh, in some strong capacity. Otherwise, things just kind of fall apart. People also need to recognize that, too. Jack? In what sense? It helps you realize how big you are. Are you talking about the leader now or the... Yeah, every leader has limits. Absolutely. So you need to get to your limits, but not any farther. Would that make sense? You need to kind of press out as far as you can. So you need to know your competencies. Yes, please. Right. So as the Lord serves, you serve. Now the thing is, is we have to break that into which capacity in any given situation. Um, you know, so for wherever you land, and this goes back to the initial thing of knowing if you're a leader or a follower. Can I push the question on to, you want to say something, Ted? Go ahead. Right. Um, so I, in, the, in the same way, now this is, this is very, a good Christian leader has the characteristic of gentleness. I'm going to just use this as a transition to the next thing. So let's say a Christian leader is both a leader and gentle, okay? So tell me practically what gentleness will look like. Can you just, t- can you just tell me what you think that might look like in any situation? Just pick a situation and tell me what that would look like. Right. Yeah, right. 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 So did you hear that? It's difficult. Uh, this is always difficult in the room. So he used the horse whisper as an example where... Uh, and, and summed it as power under control, where you have this, this horse that's very difficult because, and it's frankly interesting because the horse has been injured. So that's a very, because frankly, a lot of people have been injured, right? The church is filled with injured people. And yet, there's two things going on. There is the whispering, but the other thing you said is, it's also towards something. There's a very clear goal, which is to lose the wildness, right? And one of the interesting things in the church is, um, People spend too much time wanting to remain the way they are. Okay? Whoops. What, did I elicit something there? <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. So people come in. You come in because you have a need. There's no other reason you'd get up on a cold morning and come here, especially in stay for Bible study. You come because you have a need. And yet then um, when pastors or lay people, el- your elder maybe tries to nudge and bump and help and push, People sometimes kind of want to desperately hold on. For whatever reason, they want to hold on to, well, they want to, you know, the penalty for for not listening is to remain the way you are. Sometimes that's a very stiff penalty, but sometimes we get so used to remaining the way we are that we can't envision any other life. So, yes, Mr. Lee. Yeah, I don't, we're going to, next, so what about the issue of a mindless good follower? So, that is, for me, um, the antithesis of Christianity, a mindless good follower, because to be mindless is, um, 
Well, I just say as simply as I can, the Lord gave you a mind, and you need to, in fact, use it to the full extent. So, so that would be the worst thing. You know, our problem in the church is probably not that we think um, too much. Our, our, our problem in the church is probably we think too little. If we'd think a little better, um, we'd do better. Pastor Ganning and I are having a, it's fun to, everything is cooking during the weekend so we don't actually get to talk, but it's interesting the times we do get to talk. So, you know, in the walk between my office and the sacristy and then sort of carrying on almost to the door. That's why we're late occasionally because nobody's put a period on a sentence back there. But we were talking about how sin corrupts your thinking, your feeling, and your acting. Okay, so if you engage in a sin, um, the example that you we were that had been used that, that he heard is a very fine example of a man who sort of takes off his wedding ring uh, and goes into you know a club. Uh, uh, when he takes off his ring and puts it in his pocket, that's a sin. What he engages there corrupts his thinking. He thinks that this is okay. He can make excuses for it. I'm on a business trip. It's okay. And that thinking then corrupts his feelings because suddenly he forgets about love for his wife or he doesn't distinguish love and lust or he mistakes lust for love. And then, in fact, that snowballs. When you, once your thinking is corrupted and your feelings are corrupted, that then corrupts your actions. You do things because you no longer think and feel in the way of Jesus. You see how easy it is to diagnose your sins? You lose your mind, you lose your heart, and then you lose your, the rest of your life. It's a, that kind of stuff is so basic. Here's the thing. That's what a pastor is meant to do for you. A pastor, when you come to confession, or when you come to talk to the pastor, a pastor is meant to say to you, I think you've lost your mind. I mean, that's what, that's what, so thinking is extraordinarily important. And knowing things is extraordinarily important, reading your scripture. That's why scripture, of course the Holy Spirit comes to you there, but he comes to you there in the most practical way, because he gives you thoughts to think. So there are things that you would never do as a Christian. There are places you would never go as a Christian. You just don't do that. If you go there, to touch evil ruins you. It'll just ruin you. Anything else right there? I'm going to go two over here, and I'm going to come back to you, Ron. Go ahead, Karen. I think that is perfect. Yeah, I think that's a perfect definition of what we're talking about. So did you get all that? Karen's involved in blind outreach. Uh, I'm going to summarize. You can stop me if you wish. But Karen's involved in blind outreach. And I will say, people who, um, well, one of the things we've learned from Karen is people who are blind are highly unchurched. Is it 90 or 95 percent, right? Sorry? 95% of the people who are blind are unchurched. So the people who do, in fact, find their way at least into the church are damaged in some way. They've had a very difficult life, and that damage can also often make them bitter, and that bitterness often finds expression in the way people talked or asked. So, so Karen's a leader at the Blind Outreach. One of the very difficult things she has to decide is, um, in being gentle, how far you let people go. So welcome to the world of being a pastor, Karen. Okay? Because this is actually, this is exactly what you do as a pastor. Now, here's the thing. All right, so, and you did a very good job. You did a very good job of saying, when you say how far you can let it go, what that means is you have, have to indulge people in some sense 
in their difficulty. That goes with empathy, that goes with thinking, that goes with being aware, that goes with being a feeling person, that goes with understanding the one fact in somebody else's uh, story that you don't know. On the other hand, you're quite right. If you let that become predominant, sin in any form, and bitterness is a sin, it's sometimes a reaction, but it's also a sin. Bitterness is a sin, and actually to speak bitterly is also a sin, and that does, it can kind of spread through a group and ruin a group. So, as a leader, okay, your difficulty, you have two difficulties. One is, you have to measure your empathy for the one, for the person themselves, and actually their own spiritual health against the health of the group. So basically, you're asking yourself, how much of this can I tolerate in the group um, before it damages the group. The other thing is, is you often need to do things in private. And that's one of the, one of the most fascinating things for me is when people say, what do you do all day? And then what I'd love to do is secret stuff. That's what I do. <laughs> I do secret stuff that none of you can know about. But it is true. And, and so, so Karen, if we, there's two ways to look then. So you, let's just take a particular person. You take that person aside and you spend an hour or a day with them or two days or ten weeks over the course of a period of time. Nobody else knows you're doing that. It may not look like you're doing anything. You're doing the most important thing you can because you're loving that person in a particular way. Where it backfires, what is always fascinating to me is when somebody comes for confession and then I give them spiritual advice and then I hear back three or four weeks later what I said to them. I always find that fascinating because obviously when somebody comes to confession, we don't talk about it. But I'm always fascinated by the telephone game between what I said at the altar and what I hear back that I said, you see. And of course, we, we, we don't defend that because we never talk about what happens in confession. But it's very, it's very difficult then as a leader to, to know how to do that, and the stakes can get very high. I, I just want to turn the discussion a little bit because we just have a couple of minutes. And I know you had something to Byron, but let me, just, let me just push you to the next thing because you can't get this answer, it seems to me, unless you engage the next point, which means what it is to be a good follower. So it's one thing to be a good leader, but why do you think following matters too? In, just take this particular situation. Let's just take the rest of Karen's group. What are the possible responses when Karen actually says to this person, that kind of bitterness is really not good for you. You might not be able to control it. I can help you with that, but while you're here, you gotta put a cork in it, because otherwise you're gonna destroy the group. What are the possible reactions of the rest of the group? What are the possible reactions? What do you say? Come on, really, what would people say? One is, it's going to be, thanks very much, Karen, that needs to be done, and that's the mark of a good leader. What's a, the opposite reaction from that? Yeah, Karen is such a mean person. She just doesn't understand what it is to be blind. I wish she could understand that. Yeah, right? I mean, that's that. I'm, no, seriously, isn't that, how, that isn't that the other side of the thing? Yeah, yeah, right. So, so let me just pose then to you. We've only got a couple of minutes, but I just want to pose this because we, we didn't get all the way there, and that's okay because I don't have any place I've got to go. But I do want you to understand this. What then? And you can translate Karen's group into an entire congregation, into a church. What's important then for people in a in a, who are followers? So let's say this isn't your year on the governing board. What's an important, or, or this isn't your year to be an elder. What is it important for you to do? How, do, how does the scriptures talk, or how does the catechism talk? How does it talk? To give people the? 
benefit of the doubt to put the best construction on everything. I'll just give you a best construction thing. <clears throat> I'll, give you, I'll give you a real life best construction thing that none of you know, but I'm going to say it because I wish I'd have said it. Somebody said about John Crow that I can't believe the prices he's selling those lots for next door. I can't believe how cheap they are. What's my first reaction? My first reaction is, <laughs> I'm like, get your checkbook out, because I will sell it to you at the highest price you'd like to name that you think they're worth, right? Okay, so but here's the other thing you should know. You correct me if I get my facts wrong. But people are like, I can't believe what the I can't believe what the ask price is, you know. I can't believe what the ask price is. Okay, so we, we need to sell the land. We put very large lots on the market. Nothing happened for six, eight months. And then the realtor said, Do you know it's a recession? <coughs> See, so we're aware of that. And then he said, Do you know that smaller lots are in fact selling? We said, no, we didn't know that, but you can keep going. He said, if you would subdivide your five lots into six lots, you'd make the same or more money, and they would, in fact, sell. And, of course, our interest is to sell. So John has done the work to subdivide it into six lots rather than five, which means we'll get six checks rather than five checks. The checks will be smaller, but the total will be bigger. So before anybody says, like this, somebody said to me this week, he has no idea what he's doing, then somebody should say, gosh, maybe he has a different idea. A better idea. A better idea. <laughs> and maybe we could give him the benefit of the doubt. That would be an interesting way to play church, you see. So, so the fact is that we have, you know, one, one lot sold and we have interested parties now in about three or four other lots. I mean, really interested in the kind of people that are walking through again and again. Because after all, I have good advice about delevering at a time of increasing interest rates, yeah? So, um, so I mean, so that's the kind of stuff, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff. So in every situation, you give, you give Karen the benefit of the doubt, you give John the benefit of the doubt, give your elders the benefit of the doubt, give your pastors... Because there's always one fact in people's story you don't know. Part of being a good leader has all the things we talked about, but part of being a good follower is actually to follow. It doesn't mean check your mind at the door. It absolutely positively doesn't mean that. But it does mean being respectful of other people. One of the hard things about this congregation is you're all so blasted smart. In fact, oftentimes I go in meetings and you all think you're the <laughs> smartest guy in the room. So I often go to meetings where I have 15 guys who are all the smartest guys. You know how hard that is? When everybody's the smartest guy? You know? But, so, so the answer is, you figure out who the congregation or who the Lord has put into place, and you follow them. Not mindlessly, not uncritically, but with the benefit of the doubt. Because things like, why did the price of the lots go down, is very easily described by, because now they're six, not five. You know, that's the kind of stuff we need, to, we need to think about. If we could develop that, that would be part of making a good leader a good leader and also being a good follower. Make sense? This is very practical stuff, but if we want to do better, if we want to be better, if we want to live together and love each other and be positive and be warm, that's, that's the kind of stuff we need to do. And just remember, you know, this is your Christmas gift. If you touch sin, it will ruin you. It'll ruin your, how you think. It'll ruin your thinking. It'll ruin your feeling. It'll ruin your acting. On the other hand, to confess that and be forgiven cleans all that up and makes your world a much brighter place. 
I'm not telling you stuff you don't know or stuff you couldn't figure out yourself. I just want to get it all on the table so we all just sort of say, this is how our world looks together. Make sense? That's all we're trying to do. You know, I look around at you. It's funny, as I just look around the room, I just see so many people who do so much. I, you know, I see Rich and how he's working next door, and I saw Steve Chester this morning, and I know Marty Johnson's been there. I know the people who've been over there. I know people are working inside. I know what the elders, the, people wonder what the elders do. The elders here are always busy. I bother them, you know, five times a week with emails. What should I do here? What do you think about this? How about this? One of, the, one of the difficulties with leaders here is they're pretty tight-lipped, which is what they're supposed to be, but people don't under, understand that. Give them, give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, give, show them the love. You know, they're trying to get it right. And um, there's something about being... So, so here's what I'll say. I mean, this is where I'll finish up. Everybody's got a spot. Most of you are capable of being leaders, but you can't all be leaders at once, which means when you're a leader, be a good leader, and when you're a follower, be a good follower. You need to find your spot and to work your spot. You don't, really need, you don't really get time off in the church unless you are, in some sense, damaged or injured and you need a little special care. If that's not your case, then our job is to get you connected and squeeze the most out we can out of you for the Lord. In fact, what we're trying to do is flip your whole life upside down so that you see that Christ comes first and everything else trickles down below. Okay, makes sense? And I'll just say, to do that, to encourage ninth and tenth commandment, encourage them to stay and do their duty is how the ninth and tenth commandments go. So encourage people, both leaders and followers, and always put the best construction on it. Presume, especially in this congregation, that a lot of people are wicked smart and they're figuring it out and they're doing it for your good, and life will go a lot better for all of us. Let me round that out by saying, let's make sure that Kathy Thorne is successful. I'm just serious now. So the real time, you made Carol Holter very successful. I'm not saying so much about Carol, and I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm just saying you were brave enough to lead that thing for about three months. It's a very long thing. You were very successful. You were very successful because a lot of people helped and made you successful. Now, we shift to Kathy. We've got about four or five weeks here. Let's make Kathy very successful. Why? Because she's agreed over the very busy Christmas holidays to do this. Then we'll go to the next person. Let's make Rich successful in January and February when we're going to need a lot of volunteers so that we can move in in March or April, okay? That's what we need. Then we make him successful. Then we go to the next person. You see, that's the kind of ethos we want to establish here. And that's very simple. Know where you lead, know where you follow, do your job, and rejoice in Christ. Make sense? All right, all good. Let's pray and go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.